Let's pray together. That at the name of Jesus, every knee would bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And as we launch into a journey together through the most famous words ever spoken, the most impactful words ever preached, as we venture in these next weeks, our sole intent, Lord, is that we all bow. Because the kingdom has come among us and it came in the body of Jesus of Nazareth. And Lord, I pray that we don't just believe, we love him more when this series is done. Because now in this new kingdom, the entryway isn't ritual. The entry into this kingdom is love. And so now as we start this together, thank you for this morning and this time. In Jesus we pray and everyone said, amen. Have a seat, everybody. Have a seat. Hey, make sure you take note of some things coming up, couples comedy and cupcakes. Uh, we're in the second week of Players Box, and it's not too late if you have a student or you're just a parent. You can be a parent of elementary school kids, even though we're hoping next fall to launch the elementary part of Players Box. It doesn't mean that parents cannot participate and uh, you know, before you screw up your kids too much, you ought to come to this and uh, be a part of it, and we would love for you to do just that. But today we start a new series called Life Beyond Religion. What most people don't know is that Jesus didn't come to add on to the old religious covenants. He came to start something totally new. And so we want you to be with us in these next seven or eight weeks as we venture into the most famous sermon in history, the Sermon on the Mount. Um, envision this with me if you think about his, his audience. Let's just say that you're a part of a fan base that has supported a historically floundering franchise, losers for years. And uh, what, would ha what would you think if all of a sudden one day your team, this perennial loser that epitomized doormat of the league status, constant frustration, magically wins the Super Bowl? Wouldn't it be amazing if the Cleveland Browns could do that? No, we're very excited about next week. But if you could just think of how... Uh, uh, you know, if someone had stood on a mountain and said, the, the prophet Joe is coming, and he shall usher in a new era, a new kingdom, for all of you Bengals fans, you are going to love this next era, and you would say, us? Really? And you get a little snippet of the audience Jesus is speaking to that we're going to unpack 
in the next few weeks. I'm so excited about this for two reasons. One is, as many of you know, I, the Sermon on the Mount is one of our foundational pieces of the scriptures that we build our church on in the sense that if we know that if we just had Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, we would know what it's like to live as a citizen of Jesus' enterprise, of his kingdom. We would know. If that's all we had, we would know what it is. It's just that comprehensive. And the other thing is, in the last six months, I've been speaking on certain subjects, and I'm just excited that this is not a series on money and marriage, okay? So I'm just really excited about that, to be done with those two essential topics. And today we're going to dig into how to live a life that is beyond religion. So I want to walk you through a dichotomy, because this is one of the hardest things to speak about, simply because American Christianity is very religious. It really goes back to the fourth century when Constantine officialized Christianity as the state religion. And Christianity has tried to recover from that ever since. Because that which was supposed to be this movement of simplicity and love became institutionalized, took and, and started adopting a bunch of Roman practices and a bunch of Old Testament practices. And many of you today still identify your faith with things that actually aren't essential to our faith. They're actually not. And it's a really interesting thing is I know I, I, it's really unpopular when I say this stuff. I get it. Trust me, I'm used to it. But there's, the reason that I'm dressed like I am today is not because it's chic or contemporary. It's because a, a vestment's not needed because I'm not a priest anymore than you are. There's one priest, and his name is Jesus. And vestiges of old religious covenant really seeped into our faith, especially through Rome and now it's interesting, our church gets accused of not being a, a Christian environment. Why? Because what's not in here? A cross. When the early church would have said, what? That wasn't even a symbol of the church for 400 years until it started to be used as a way to conquer people, you know? And, and, and where the, you know, the cross used to be put on people's necks and says, you become a Christian now or else, right? And, and so this will rock you. This will rock you. I will get more criticism from this series than anything we do, including money and marriage. Why? Because the faith that many of us grew up with, myself included, is institutionalized. It's a version of our faith that Jesus never intended. So what I'm going to do in this series is break this down into many components. Today I'll start with this, okay? And you may want to take pictures of this just to help you locate where we're going to be in this series. Because these descriptors, these dichotomies are very important. What religion says, and this was Old Covenant, the Old Testament, you do, you'll be blessed. If you just do what I tell you, you'll be blessed. The difference is Christ comes along and says, now you've been blessed. Your past is forgiven. Your present is empowered by my spirit. Your future is secure. Now you're free to love. You don't have to worry about stuff. You're free to love. You'll see that through this series. I've blessed you. Now you're new. You are the beginning of the second human race, the second Adam and Eve, he would say. Look at this. Religion says do enough. Problem with that is you never know if you're doing enough. Anybody ever been in that religious mode where it's like, I got to do. And every church that's religious based has its code of do enough. 
I grew up in a tradition where if you didn't take communion every Sunday, you were not doing enough. And if you had a car accident on the way home, all bets are off on where you're headed. And no, I'm not kidding you. It was literally that, that, that was, and Christ says, no, I'm enough. I'm enough. Uh, religion says you have to. You have to do this stuff. It's duty. And Christ says, no, you've been, you get to. You get to participate in my kingdom. I've, in, I've drafted you into my kingdom, the kingdom that comes from within. Religion is complicated. How many of you have ever gone to a religious service and gone, I didn't understand that at all, did you? I didn't understand that. So much so that if you make it simple, which Christ meant to be, People act like you had the cure for cancer, for crying out loud, because they're used to these lofty things that sound so spiritual. Some people don't even want to use anything other than the King James Bible, because why? Any other version just doesn't sound as spiritual as using 500-year-old language that is now obsolete. If you're Spanish and you don't speak old King James English, you're up a creek without a paddle. But, uh, you know, but it sounds, it sounds sophisticated. When in Christ, it's simple. Love the Lord your God with all your heart so much. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. And all other commands flow from those two in his kingdom. Religion, and we'll unpack this, is what ba- Dallas Willard called barcoding forever into your life. And many of us grew up in this. And that is just like a barcode, you swipe it in and that's your ticket to get into the arena, to get into the stadium. That and $6,400, you'll be able to go to the Super Bowl next week. And that's just your ticket. That's not everything else. But, but religion is barcoding. You're in. So who cares how you behave? Because you're in heaven now. You're one of us. You've passed the barcode. And this is really fascinating because this is what leads to good Christian Nazis killing Jews. That's what it leads to. It is serious business, the idea of barcoding. When Jesus said, no, I'm going to come and I'm going to start building forever stuff into your life. I'll make your life of such substance that it's the life that will pass through the fires of judgment and be even more purified. you're going to not be made of wood, hay, and straw. Your life's going to be made of gold and silver substance that lasts forever. Uh, Better deal. Religion is complicated. Christ is simple. Religion is barcoding. Religion is fear-based. And I'll let you a little on a little secret. We preachers love this tool. We love this tool. This is the reason why we like to create religious systems. It's because if you're not going to come to church, I'll scare you all into church. I'll scare you all into church. And we love doing that. It is always a temptation to use the power of religion to scare people. When Jesus said, no, this is not about fear-based. There is no fear in love. Perfect love drives out fear. You're going to be driven by something so much better. Uh, We saw this. uh, you, you, You see the limitations of law. We need laws. But they have limitations. They can't change the human soul. And so, for example, in 2002, the NFL adopted a, a law that said, the Rooney Rule said, you will interview uh, minorities before you make any hires. That worked out really well, didn't it? Because laws always work. Did it work out well? Have you been following the news this week? There's a lawsuit against the NFL because since they enacted that law, there are actually less African-American coaches in the NFL than when they started the law. Why? Not because the law is bad, but because it can't change the human heart. 
It can't change the human heart. Nothing can change the human heart like love can. And this is, Jesus said, I came not to establish another system of fear, but one based on love. Religion is about D-O, it's what you do. And Christ is about what he has done, D-O-N-E, what he has finished. This is an astounding truth that goes way beyond Wesleyan theology that when I live in this security, and this word you will hear a hundred times in this series because it is the thread that runs all the way through the Sermon on the Mount. When you, when you truly own the security of being within his kingdom, uh, that what was needed to be done for you has already been done, man, is it free you up to live in love. Because things that we used to pad our resume with, you realize that doesn't matter. Religious resume padding, uh, material religious or uh, material resume padding, it doesn't matter anymore. It doesn't matter. What has been needed has been done. And it, it, it is so, so liberating. So today, we start with the Beatitudes. And I'm going to run through something so quickly that, that you know, your head might spin. So get your phone out, take a picture, um, and so you don't have to watch this sermon all over again. I'm not going to make you do that. You just take a picture of these things because today we're going to look at something that is very important to understand so that you don't see the Sermon on the Mount as another thing you got to live up to in religious dutifulness. And you don't have, you know, I can't, I can't live this way. But instead you see it as, no, something has come that will fill you and that will do the work. And it's a really interesting thing on this. Um, the Sermon on the Mount is, is a picture of this new kingdom that's come that when you think of kingdom, think of a couple things, but one of the things, think of a, a, a 5G connection that is unbreakable. Like this kingdom has come now, and you don't have to have the proprieties, the rituals of the past to enter into this kingdom. Through Jesus, you now have the 5G connection to this kingdom. It's 24-7. It's all around the world, and, and you don't have to miss it ever. It's always there. And no matter what you do, his grace is perpetual in you to redeem you and restore you. And the, the cool thing about this is the picture of, speaking of 5G, how many of you in the last five years have gotten a new phone? How many of you have gotten a new phone? Okay. I, you know, how many of you have switched from a flip phone to an actual smartphone in the last five years? There was a period in which the, the flip phone did, did the job. But the ability to connect like a smartphone can can't do what a flip phone uh, it can do what a flip phone can't do, and your flip phone wasn't bad because it was bad, it just became obsolete. It got you to the phone you got now, and Jesus is bringing in a new phone, and and that old phone you don't need it anymore. You don't need it anymore because you're connected to something much deeper, much broader, much more powerful. It is the kingdom the 5G resonance of the kingdom of Jesus. And let's dig into this. The Beatitudes are not a picture of the Christian ideal. Laura painted this picture introductorily a few minutes ago. The Beatitudes are not something where Christ is establishing another law, another list of impossible to fulfill requirements that if you do not meet these requirements, then you're clearly not one of his followers. The assumption that the Beatitudes are, this is what you're to be, is what led to an idea called dispensationalism, which said, these aren't for us right now. 
Like, like these aren't practical for us right now because these are way beyond us, which means that the people Jesus was speaking to, it had nothing to do with them either. <laughs> like, like, oh, that was great. Did that apply to us? No, it absolutely applied to them. He's speaking to things that his audience and ours would have said, oh, thank you. Thank you that this kingdom is for me. Thank you. The Beatitudes are not telling us what to be. They are telling us if we find ourselves in these conditions described, heaven's kingdom is still there for us. The Beatitudes are not prescriptive. This is what to do. They are descriptive. Jesus is holding a mirror up and saying, look, who are you seeing in that mirror? That's who my kingdom is for. That's who my kingdom is for. The Beatitudes are not teachings on how to be blessed. They are not instructions for doing anything. The Beatitudes tell us who is really well off, who really has the good life and the goodness of life in spite of their present condition. Now, if you've been in the kingdom of Christ very long, you've actually seen the promise he gives lived out in people. But to make sure that you can remember when you've seen this, I'm going to go through now a descriptor of each of these Beatitudes, okay? And you may find yourself. I want you to do an analysis of yourself because there is a very piercing story from Jesus that I'm going to tell at the end where you get to, before communion, look at your own life and say, where, where, do, I, where do I fit? Is this kingdom for me? Because it, it can be, but it's your choice, it's your choice. Look at Matthew 5, verse 1. Now, when he saw the crowds, by this time his Q rating is through the roof. He's more popular than Joe Burrow in Cincinnati. He went up on a mountainside and sat down. Now, that was, that's, that's a rabbinic movement. In that day, when a rabbi wanted to take the seat of authority, a rabbi would sit down. In our culture, it's standing up with some funny mic sticking out of your head. His disciples came to him. Now, I want you to notice something. Not all the crowd came. I have been on that mountain where he spoke. It's, it's a long walk up that mountain. It's a long walk. It's a beautiful plain. It's fantastic for preaching a sermon when you don't have a funny mic sticking out of your head uh, because you want people to hear you. But not everybody came. The word for disciples is those who wanted to apprentice under him. They wanted to be People who were many Christ's. Like, like they lived like he lived. They saw what he saw. And he began to teach them. Now by the end of this talk, more people had said, there's something going on up there, we're coming. But at the beginning, you gotta ask yourself, would you have been in the crowd or you, would you have been one of the disciples? Would you have made the effort to get up on the mountain and say, we have got to hear what he has to say? And he began to teach them saying, blessed are the poor in spirit. Now, this is a word that's overused in our culture. You'll hear, it, you'll hear it after the Super Bowl next Sunday night when the Bengals win. You will hear this word, we're so blessed. We're just so blessed. But it's interesting how now we use this word so loosely, the word is markarios, which was the life of the gods. It's the highest form of the state of a human being possible. That's right, he's saying those who really have the good life, you will not necessarily evaluate it on the basis of the circumstances of their life anymore. Those of you who are in circumstances that are not enviable, you're gonna be blessed. 
Now, that was in a culture where if you were rich, God obviously was favoring you. If you were not, God obviously was cursing you. So they had this real dichotomy in their culture. And Jesus says, no, no, no. You won't be able to look on the outside of someone and their circumstances to see if whether or not they're blessed. But he says, blessed, markarios, are the spiritually bankrupt. The poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed, I love, love, love the breakdown that Dallas Willard does. Blessed already are you spiritual zeros. The spiritually bankrupt, the religiousless, those of you who don't know your Bible. <laughs> I love that because there are some of you who know. You would call it geniuses and revolutions. You don't know what Genesis and Revelation is. You, you don't know, you know you, you know, you think second opinions is in the Bible. You don't know. <laughs> because the riches of the kingdom of heaven are yours for the taking. Heaven's resources are for you. I'm here to gift you spiritual zeros with heaven on earth. Maybe that's you. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are you weeping ones. That's what it literally means. Whose mates have just deserted you. Who've been rejected. Who've lost their child to drugs. Who've lost their careers or life savings. Whose hearts are broken because the kingdom of the comforter is coming to you. And you will be better off than you were before your disastrous circumstances. Wow. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are you shy ones, the intimidated, the mild, the unassertive, the mannerly, the gentle, the Enneagram nines. You who don't push for your rights because the Lord of the whole earth is your shepherd and you shall not want. Blessed, verse 6, are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed will you be who are burning with desire for wrong things to be set right. Maybe in yourself as you cringe at the thought of your own sin and mistakes of your past. Maybe the wrong done to you. Maybe the wrongs in this world done to the innocent because your emptiness will be turned into a fullness as you see the kingdom that transforms cruel crosses into beautiful symbols of love. Go to work and fill your souls with life. Verse seven, blessed, blessed are the merciful for they will be shown mercy. Blessed already are you who give away much and look like you're a loser who don't always take care of business because you're generous to others, who have less because you give more, because heaven's resources are coming your way and your needs will be taken care of as you are the recipient of the mercy that you've shown. This is a real interesting one. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Now, this is the one that on the surface looks like the positive one. Like, this is the one that trips people up because they think, aren't we all supposed to be pure in heart? But the real, the real specific colloquial understanding of that would be those of you who are Enneagram ones, perfectionists. Blessed are you ones who focus so pure, your focus is so pure, nothing ever seems good enough. 
You perfectionists who are a pain in the arse to everyone, yourselves most of all, you are so pure in heart and idealism, you see the flaws in everyone and everything, and you are miserable people. Your food is never cooked right, your hair and clothes are always unsatisfactory, the kingdom of Jesus has come for you. And can I get an amen from the congregation on that one? Yeah. For all of you who live with ones. And in that kingdom, you will find something that satisfies your pure, focused heart. You will see God. You will see perfection. And when you do, you will find what you have been looking for, someone who is enough and measures up. And that will satisfy your soul. Blessed, verse 9, are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who outside the kingdom are called everything but a child of God because they're always in the middle. You are the law enforcement officer called in to smooth out a domestic dispute and neither side trusts you because they know you're looking at both sides so you can't possibly be on their side. Can we just give it up for our law enforcement people right now? But under God's rule, he recognizes that in bringing good to people who are in the wrong, as both sides usually are, you show the divine family resemblance because God is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. People will look at you and say, you look like our heavenly father. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of right things, righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Those of you amongst us today who are attacked for your stand for what is right within the company, within your school, within your family, you have not only suffered momentary harassment, but have even seen your life ruined for simply refusing to be compliant with what you know is wrong. It is a terrible place to be, but you can be possessed by the kingdom of the heavens. And when you are, that will be enough to allow you to lead a blessed life of unshakable security, even in insecure circumstances. Verse 11, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad. Because great is your reward in the heavens, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Blessed are those of you who are accused of being Jesus freaks in a degrading slur. And though you feel rejected and ostracized and removed from God's blessing, you are actually on path to receive a great reward in God's world, the heavenly realm. Your reputation stands high before God and those similarly persecuted who have gone before you and you will share in their resources and reward. Would you do me a favor, Southbrook, and make sure tonight when you pray, you pray for the millions in our world right now who can't do what we're doing, who will be killed if they do what we're doing, who are literally in the, in the crosshairs of life and death persecution because of one name, the name above all names. Make sure you pray for our brothers and sisters who they would never take this for granted. 
Am I right? And Jesus says to them, there is a kingdom for you. Now, you may look at this, and you may not, you, you, you may not think this is true. There are people in this room who will tell you otherwise in their experience that the life Jesus is describing in the Sermon on the Mount is about moving from being a person who survives from the outside to a person who thrives from the inside out. But the real crux of the issue is do you participate in the crowd or are you a disciple? That's the question. Because just being a part of the crowd, which is what this is. We literally, years ago said, we're going to create a gathering that is just the crowd on the hillside. That's what we're going to do. And we'll give out free loaves and fish. And in other words, we'll try to do our best to meet human need. Because if people hear the message of Christ, they'll say, I want that way. I want that truth. I want that life. Who have open hearts to that. So I have a dear friend who came because we were doing a series. This was 20 some years ago. Uh, He's Jewish and he came because we were doing a series. I wasn't his friend at the time. We were doing a series on parenting and he heard this series on parenting and it's like, this stuff works. And he became a follower of Christ because we said, hey, here's, here's some bread and fish that can help your life. That's why we do marriage series and things like that. But you have to make the decision to say, I'm going to move from the crowd to I'm, a dis- I'm an apprentice. My life is about orienting myself to be an apprentice. And the question with that is, what's the Kickstarter on that? What's the Kickstarter? What, what moves you from being the crowd wasn't in the kingdom? That doesn't, the kingdom of God was within. So the crowd wasn't within the kingdom of light. There was this point at which every person had to say, I am moving within the kingdom now. I live my life under the domain. And whenever you see the word kingdom, the effective range of God's rule. That's where I'm living now. I don't live in my own kingdom because everybody here has their own kingdom. You, do, you have your own. You, you can decide to build your own kingdom. Some people do that through business, some through sport. I mean, you can do it, but you can say, no, my life's going to be about the kingdom. And to do that, you have to make the decision to be an apprentice. This is not religious. Clock in, church, Sunday morning, 930, get your two pounds of God in a paper sack to go, boom, did it. That's, that's religion. But Christ is about now. You surrender to my leadership, my promises. You surrender to my power. And now let's go to work. So here's a story. In the past, before John, Jesus said, the proprieties of the kingdom were ritualistic. You had to do this. You had to go into this booth and you had to get this cleansing and you had to do this once a year. And it was just it was very complicated, very detailed. The reason God did that is he was showing them that sin kills and it needs this redemptive work. And he was showing this in, in, a, in a religious structure that was like a scaffolding that's, on, that's built outside before a real house is built. Nobody lives within scaffolding. But sometimes you need the scaffolding. And so there was this, before John, Jesus said, the proprieties of the kingdom were ritualistic, the law and the prophets. 
But now that the kingdom has come, there's a new entry into the kingdom. And do you know it's not a five-letter word called faith? It's a four-letter word called love. It goes beyond faith. And this is where some of you may have been tripped up. Because you thought it was just about faith. It's not. Faith is the start. The entrance into the kingdom is this love dynamic. So Jesus, one day, is at the house of a prominent Pharisee named Simon. Simon is one of the people who, if he were hearing the Sermon on the Mount, he'd be sitting there going, oh, this is for those people. I, I pay my bills. I, 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 I keep the jot and tittle of the law. I, I even, I take good care of my cat. I mean, I'm a righteous person. And they, this is for them. And he's sitting there, and he's hosting Jesus, whom he perceives to be a prophet. Certain expectations come with that. When all of a sudden, a woman who many would have thought she's just a part of the crowd, but she's certainly not one of his apprentices, comes into his house. And this woman was termed a sinner. A, a woman of the night with a terrible reputation. She is so ambushed by the love of this man that she falls in front of him and her tears are the liquid that wash his feet. Her hair, she doesn't have a towel. She uses her hair to dry it off. And she is in a speechless sob saying, thank you, there's a kingdom for me. There's a kingdom for me. This kingdom has come. There's a kingdom for me. And she does this. And Simon says something that delineates him from this woman. He says, if he knew who this woman was, and he were really a prophet, he would not let this woman do what she's doing. Now, if you're a church person in America, you're more likely to identify with Simon than you are the woman. Because we're the, we're the rights, right? We're, the, we're in the right. All those pagans out there don't know how to live. We know how to live. And Jesus says this, Simon, when I came into your house, you didn't greet me. You didn't wash my feet. You didn't even ask a servant to do that, which was a custom in that day. But this woman brought this perfume, which was expensive, and she used her tears and her hair to, to anoint me. It was a... It was an act of love so profound that it pierced the stale religious environment of this house. And he looks at the woman. He says, Simon, I, I get it. You're righteous. You didn't feel the need to do that. But he looks at the woman and he says something amazing. Lady, your sins are forgiven. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Your sins are only forgiven if you go through the right rituals, through the right religious actions. No, Jesus says, in this kingdom, you enter this kingdom, not through ritual, 
but through revolutionary love. And this woman is in my kingdom. Now you got to ask yourself, would you rather be Simon or would you rather be that woman? Because you're more like that woman than you may have realized. And then Jesus says this. He says, Simon, let's say there was a man and one man owed him $50,000 and another man owed him $50. And that man forgave both of those people of their debt. The $50,000 debt and the $50 debt. Now he said, which one of them do you think loved that man most? And Simon said, oh, the man with the $50,000 debt. And Jesus said, you're right. Because the one who has been forgiven the most loves the most. That's how you enter the kingdom. Because you realize, I've been forgiven of this unpayable debt. And my entrance into his kingdom is not because I believe enough. But I love him for that. I love him for that. And in this series, some of you are going to have to decide, do you want to just believe in the crowd? Or do you want to love as an apprentice? We hope you come back. We hope you come back as we unpack the most amazing words ever said in the history of the world. This has done more to affect the world, these words that we're going to look at, than any package of words in human history. But more than that, that through this series, you'll learn to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. And love your neighbor as you love yourself. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for our gathering today. Thank you for these amazing words that I am guilty of preaching about them too much probably. But they're just... It changed my life. Without you, I would be that guy who's making a lot of money, divorced three times, kids on drugs, no faith, no generosity to charity, cars, boats. And people would look at me and say, he has the good life. And you know otherwise. But I would be that guy that the kingdom is for me too. And my way in is love. Thank you, Jesus, for... Uh, it's just the ring of truth. Thank you for how you have set and will set many of us free from religion because you brought a life beyond that. And thank you that like, right now we'll take communion, not because it's a check on our box, but because it symbolizes Jesus lives in me. Are you kidding me? And I am in the kingdom of his light. Are you kidding me? That there was a kingdom for me. That's what communion says. There was a kingdom for me where the poor and brokenhearted ones Find liberty and life forever. Thank you, Jesus. And everybody said?
Amen. See you next week.